take our text this morning from just one verse, the book of James, chapter 4, verse 6. It says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. This is quite a verse, really. It contains a warning as well as a promise. See two things mentioned here. We see resistance and we see grace both mentioned. Word of God lets us know we can choose one or the other. The word resist means to exert force in opposition of. Some synonyms that go along with that word resist are to buck or to defy, to fight, to oppose, to repel, or to withstand. Sure, there's times in our lives when we've all met with resistance in one form or another. It's not pleasant. And we see the word grace also mentioned in this verse. Speaking of God's grace, it's that unmerited favor of God or God's divine assistance to us. So I guess we could say we can either choose God's assistance or God's resistance. But the choice is up to us. It says he gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. God's word lets us know that pride is that thing that will separate us from the Lord faster and farther than anything, really. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 gives us a list of things that God hates. It says, six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the very first thing on that list is a proud look. Just a proud look is something that the God, that God despises. There's nothing good about pride. You know, you only have a proud look. If you have a proud heart, it kind of shows out in your actions and even in a person's countenance. But it says that the Lord hates a proud look. It also tells us in Proverbs 16, verse 5, it says that the proud heart is an abomination unto the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. So it's letting us know even when the proud band together and try to move against the Lord, they won't go unpunished. I was reminded of our Sunday school lesson a few weeks ago about the Tower of Babel. All the people of the world at that time spoke one language and God gave them a commandment to be fruitful and multiply and to replenish the earth but they they didn't want to do that so they decided to build a tower unto God and or unto heaven and it said they wanted to make a name for themselves so they were doing that in direct opposition to what God said to do don't read anywhere where they included God in their plans of course we know the Lord came down and confounded their language and ended up scattering them anyway. God's divine plan and divine will was carried out with or without the help of man. It's always better to work with the Lord rather than in opposition of the Lord. But pride causes people to try to work against God. It's been said that pride is that one thing that is obvious to everyone else except the one that has it. Often pride blinds us to our own faults and our own needs. You know, sometimes pride can be mistaken for other things, so it's important to understand what pride is not. You know, pride is not recognition for a job well done. 
If you do a good job and somebody recognizes that, there's no pride in that. We're to do our best as Christians. I have a little job I try to do every morning. It's not a task that was assigned to me. It's just something I've tried to do. I try to set up the coffee maker every morning for my wife. And I've learned there are certain ways she likes her coffee. She likes it finely ground. Four four level scoops for six cups. And it always comes out good. And she often shows her appreciation and compliments me on the good coffee. There's no pride in that. I'm just trying to do my best. I strive to make a good cup of coffee. We're to take pride in our work. The Word of God tells us, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. You know, it's been said, if you're going to sweep out a room, make sure you get the corners as well so we can see. uh, Doing a good job and being recognized for a job well done is not pride. You know, pride is not receiving or bestowing honor. Romans 13, verse 7 says, Give honor to whom honor is due. So that would go to say then if we give honor, at times maybe we'll receive honor. But again, uh, giving and receiving honor is not pride. You know, pride is not even being secure with yourself as a Christian. The Word of God says we're not to cast aside our confidence. So we know as children of God, we recognize uh, there's certain promises that are available to us. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's not pride. That's confidence in the Lord. The Apostle Paul himself, he said, by God's grace, I am what I am. You know, Paul recognized his God-given strengths and abilities, but he also recognized his limitations. But he didn't focus on his inabilities, but rather on what he could do for the Lord, what God had called him to do. Psalm 34, 2 says, My my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. There's no pride in being secure in what the Lord has called us to do. The Word of God tells us too, Jesus taught in His parables that the Lord or the Master gave certain servants different talents and different abilities. It says, according to their several ability. Some had more, some had less. You know, the quantity of the talents wasn't the important thing. The fact is that they were to use what God had given them. If the Lord has blessed you with something and helped you to be good at something, there's no pride in that. As long as you do that for the Lord's glory and the Lord's honor, so we can see we want to use the talents that the Lord has given us to glorify Him. There's no pride in that. Well, what is pride? Who has it? Where does it come from? Well, to address the first question, what is pride? You know, pride is a spirit of independence from God. Pride is that thing that will cause a person to say in their own heart, I don't need God's help. I can do things on my own. I don't need God's laws and commandments. I can make my own rules and I can get along just fine without God. That's pride. That's what got Satan actually kicked out of heaven. Pride is that thing that will cause a person to try to exalt themselves at times even above God. Well, who has it? What's the bad news? We all have it. It's actually something we're all born with. 
I think pride is something that most of us come by pretty naturally. I don't think any of us have to think, oh man, I've really got to work hard on developing more of my pride. It's just something that comes naturally. It's something, actually, it's part of that human DNA. It's something that we're born with. It's part of that Adamic nature. Even a saved and sanctified individual has to often uh, fight against that attitude or that spirit of pride. You know, I didn't know for a long time, but I learned a few years ago that if you ever find an apple that has wormholes in it, it's easy to think that that worm somehow got inside that apple by uh, burrowing through from the outside. There's an old saying, there's only one thing worse than biting into an apple and finding a worm in it. It's biting into an apple and finding a half-eaten worm. But you know, I learned something a few years ago. That worm was actually born inside that apple. When an apple tree begins to develop and blossom, the larva or the egg of that worm is laid in the blossom of that tree. And so as that tree develops and that apple forms on the tree, uh, that larva actually forms inside of that apple. And as that worm grows and develops inside that apple, it actually works its way outside to the outside from the inside. It's like pride. We have pride in our heart. We're born with pride. And eventually that pride begins to manifest itself and work its way out. The answer is the question of where it comes from. We know, again, we can trace pride clear back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. We know as they disobeyed the Lord there in the garden and they rebelled against God and they became proud, uh, at that point, we were placed under that old curse of sin, so we know that prideful heart is something that we're born with. The good news is there's something we can do about it. You know, sometimes pride can seem so obvious, but often pride can take less obvious forms. Pride is that thing that can make a person think they can earn God's favor. You know, God's grace is not based on performance. In Mark chapter 10, in the other Gospels, we read about that rich young ruler that came to the Lord and he had a question. He said, Lord, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? You see, in his mind, he thought it was something he could do. Rather than say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He thought, Lord, what can I do? What shall I do? And we know it's obvious as you read that account that as Jesus began to re- recount all the commandments uh, and then he put his finger on that one place in that man's life, he wasn't willing to give that thing to the Lord, but it was obvious by that man's attitude. He said he went away sorrowful because he thought it was something he could do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That word boast stems from pride. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift, not of works. You know, a gift is an expression of love, not a payment for services rendered. You can even maybe earn favors, but a gift is not something you earn. When I give a gift to my children or to my wife, it's an expression of love. It's not because they've done anything to earn it. It's because it's a gift in the same way when the Lord extends 
grace to us and salvation is not because of anything we've done. It's in spite of ourselves that God extends that gift of grace and mercy to us. This isn't to say there's nothing we can do to be saved. We certainly know there's God's part and there's our part. God's part is to convict us of sin. God's part is to have the Spirit of the Lord draw us into Himself. And our part is to repent and to humble ourselves. But you know, we can't even do that until God prompts us and stirs us. So we see there's God's part and our part, but uh, it's not something we earn. Sometimes pride can make a person think that they can do something good enough to merit God's favor, but we can't. You know, pride can make a person contentious. Proverbs 13, 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. I've been thinking about that verse a lot this week. That means that any problem that comes up in a family, any problem that comes up in a relationship, any divorce, any church split, any war, any battle, you can trace it back to one source, and that source is pride. Only by pride cometh contention. It's been said that contention occurs when every man contends to have preeminence and will not give place to another. Some of you may recall something that happened in the summer of 1986. I have a very vague recollection of this, but in the summer of 1986, there were two ships that were sailing out on the Black Sea, and they ended up colliding off of the coast of Russia. Tragically, hundreds of passengers were thrown into the ocean there and ended up dying, drowning there in the ocean. And after that disaster occurred, they decided to do an investigation to find out what caused that horrible accident. And the results were actually shocking. It wasn't a technology failure. It wasn't because the radar uh, had malfunctioned or anything like that. It wasn't even because of uh, the weather. Sometimes that area of the world gets inclement weather. It wasn't because of thick fog or anything like that. And I don't even believe there was any substances involved. You know what the problem was? That accident was all ego-driven. The cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence there in the area nearby. Both could have steered clear, but according to news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. They were too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. So we can see how pride is the source of all contention. Pride is that thing that will cause somebody to blame others for all of their faults, all of their problems. You know, this is nothing new. Where God says there's nothing new under the sun. We see this attitude first uh, manifested in the Garden of Eden. Again, when Adam sinned and disobeyed God and God confronted him with his sin and said, Adam, where are you? What have you done? And, of course, we see the first thing Adam did is he tried to blame his wife. He says, the woman which thou gavest to be with me said unto me, gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Well, actually, he was trying to blame Eve, but he also blamed God. He said, this is the woman you gave me. You know, pride tragically will cause people to do that. 
Not only does pride make people blame others, but oftentimes pride will even cause a person to try to blame God for the disasters in their lives when all along it's because of disobedience and rebellion against the Lord. But humility, you know, humility does just the opposite. Humility will cause us to accept personal responsibility. Humility is that thing that will cause us to stop blaming others and we'll do like that song says, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And as we begin to recognize our needs before the Lord, as we begin to recognize our faults before the Lord, we know that uh, God could begin to work and help us, but we have to acknowledge the fact that we need God's help. We need God's grace, and it only comes when we're willing to humble ourselves. Pride can blind a person to the everyday blessings of the Lord. Proverbs 21.4 says, In a high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. An old commentary explained it this way. It says, A man plowing his field in reliance upon himself and in his own strength and not acknowledging that it's God that sends the rain. It's God that sends the seed. It's God that sends the harvest. It's God that provides that land to be plowed in the first place. If a man does that in reliance upon himself and not acknowledging God, it's sin. It's wrong. It's done out of pride. Again, the scripture reading talked about King Nebuchadnezzar. We see what God did to Nebuchadnezzar when he refused to acknowledge God, given a whole year to acknowledge God and humble himself. But at the end of the year, we know God had driven him out, just like he said he would, until he came to the realization that God was the one in control, that God set him up, and that God was in control of all things. And once his reason returned, he was willing to humble himself, God restored him. But you know, even after seven years, he had a choice. If he would have chosen to reject God and to continue in his pride, he would have died out there in that field. But because he humbled himself, God had mercy on Nebuchadnezzar. You know, pride will bring a man low. The Word of God tells us, Proverbs 29, verse 33, says, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. You know, it's kind of ironic if you think about it. But everything that a proud man strives for, honor, recognition, exaltation, all of these things are stripped from him because of his pride. But the Word of God tells us in Proverbs 22, 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Oh, the proud shall be abased, but... God will exalt those that are humble. In the gospel, it is true, the way up is down. The way to be blessed and to receive from the Lord is to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our need and to admit to the Lord that we need His help. You know, in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, I think this is probably one of the most amazing accounts in God's word of God's grace, God's long-suffering, of God's forgiveness, and also it shows us the incredible restorative power of humility. This is the account of a man by the name of King Manasseh. As you begin there in Second Chronicles, the 33rd chapter, 
We know that it tells us King Manasseh was the son of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was actually one of the most godly kings that Judah ever had. But we read that uh, Manasseh started out very wickedly. So it's not because he didn't know better. He obviously had a godly example in front of him, but he chose to rebel against the Lord and to lift himself up against God. also tells us that he reigned 55 years. Not only was he the most wicked king in Judah, but he was probably one of the longest reigning kings, maybe perhaps the longest reigning king in Judah. But verse 1 through 10, it gives us a list of all of the things that Manasseh did against the Lord, all of the sins that he committed. He was 12 years old when he began to reign. And in verse 2, it says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So there's our introduction to King Manasseh. And it goes on. It said he did all the abominations of the nations around him. He built altars to pagan gods in the house of the Lord. He rebuilt the altars and the groves to Baal that his father had torn down. King Hezekiah had gone through and implemented all these wonderful reforms and he'd taken away the idols and the people were prospering and worshiping the, the Lord. And Manasseh came in and he undid all of those things. As a result, the people followed him in his sin. You know, it says that he even offered his own children as a sacrifice to pagan gods. That sounds pretty shocking until you consider the fact you look in this nation, in this culture, millions of unborn babies are sacrificed every year to the God of self, to the God of convenience. Not much different, really. God looks at it the same way. But uh, Manasseh did all of these things. It said he filled the land with innocent blood. And in verse 10, it says, it's verse 6, it says that he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And finally, in verse 10, it says, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. So in spite of all of these things, and really it's a wonder that God didn't strike Manasseh dead. As humans, we look at him and think he didn't deserve any mercy, but God warned him and spoke to him, and yet in his pride he refused to listen. It's like he shook his fist in God's face and they continued until finally, finally God in his mercy and God in his righteousness had to send judgment. And we know God is the God of his word. It says that the proud shall be abased. So we read there in verse 11, after all of these things had taken place, it says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh, among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. So we see he was humbled. That phrase there took him among the thorns. Uh, One strong concordance likens that to being led away like a ring in his nose. So he was led away in humiliation, stripped of everything. And that was because he disobeyed God. And so God used this in his life. But you know his story doesn't end there. Verse 12 and 13, it says, And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. 
That is so incredible to me. When I think about everything Manasseh did against the Lord, yet in his time of affliction, he humbled himself. It says he humbled himself greatly. This wasn't just a quick prayer to get himself out of trouble. He humbled himself. He acknowledged his sin and he called on God. And God had mercy on someone like King Manasseh. And we see the fruits of that humility and that repentance as we read a little further. Verse 15 and 16, it says, And he took away, speaking of Manasseh, and he took away the strange gods and the idols out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. We see a changed man. Manasseh had been saved and delivered. He'd been humbled, but God restored him. And as he turned to the Lord, God blessed him. As we read in verse 20 there, it says, So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house, and Amon his son reigned in his stead. Manasseh finished out his reign in peace, and he died in peace because he was willing to humble himself, you know, As I thought about that account, I thought this is such a good reminder to every one of us, there's no one so bad that God can't save them. You know, as long as there's life, there's hope, as long as anybody, regardless of what they've done, if they're willing to humble themselves, call on the name of the Lord, God will hear, God will save, and God will help. We're also reminded in God's word there's no one so good that they need not be saved. That's the other problem with pride. Sometimes pride makes people think they're fine just the way they are. You know, the moral self-righteous sinner full of pride is just as bad as the immoral debauched sinner. We all need God's grace. We all need God's forgiveness. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18. He told about two men that went down to pray said one was the Pharisee, the other a publican. said that Pharisee, you know what? He was just full of himself. He stood and he prayed thus with himself. He gave the Lord a long list of all the wonderful things he had done. Thanked him that he wasn't like this publican. said he prayed thus with himself. God didn't hear his prayer. You know, he prayed thus with himself because that's who he worshipped. He worshipped himself. Pride causes people to do that. But then we see the publican said he stood afar off. He felt unworthy to even approach close to the Lord. Said he wouldn't so much as even lift up his eyes, but he just smote on his breast. And we read his prayer. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what? He was confessing he was a sinner without excuse or justification. He wasn't petitioning God for some temporal blessing or even an escape from trouble, he was simply calling on God for mercy. God help me. The Word of God says that man went home justified rather than the other. That's how humility works. You know, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he'll lift us up. But if we lift ourselves up before the Lord, God will humble us. But the choice is ours. You know, one old-time minister, when he was describing this account, he said, One man went home dignified, and the other man went home justified. 
Well, people often leave church one of two ways. They can leave home dignified with their pride intact. They can leave the same way they came, just like this Pharisee, self-righteous, yet unsaved and unjustified. Or they can humble themselves and leave justified before the Lord. That's what we want. We want God to hear our prayers. You know, he can do that if we're willing to humble ourselves, but we're given the choice. Thank the Lord we are. You know, one old-time Christian speaker back in the early 1900s was quoted as saying this. He says, when self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. But when Christ is on the cross... And Christ, then when self is on the cross, then Christ is on the throne. In other words, what he was saying is, as long as we're serving ourselves, the Lord can't rule and reign on the throne of our hearts, but when we're willing to crucify ourselves and die to ourselves, die with Christ, submit to the Lord, then the Lord can take his rightful place on the throne of our hearts. But the choice is ours. But you know, humility gets God's attention. The Word of God tells us humility causes God to hear. Psalm ten seventeen says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. God hears the cry of the humble. Best of all, the Word of God tells us that God gives grace, gives grace unto the humble, that divine assistance, that divine help from heaven. If you need God's help this morning, if you need God's grace, you know, just tell him you need it. Humble yourself. God will help you. God will bless you. Whatever the need is, come to the Lord. Seek him in humility. God will hear and answer. You'll have the blessing of heaven down in your heart this very day. The choice is yours, but I encourage you, make the right choice. Humble yourself before the Lord. You can kneel where you are. Call out to the Lord if you're at home and listening. Just say a simple prayer from the depth of your heart. Humble yourself. God will hear you. God will help you today. Let's sing 489 and come to pray.